Okay, it's search warrant and we're back. Shortly after cop hating and anti-law enforcement, anarchists and Antifa mobs starting started becoming more visible, we immediately went out and were looking for anything that was pro-police. To our pleasant surprise, we came across a video entitled Speak Truth, a message that needs to be heard. If you haven't seen that video yet, Go to YouTube, type in Speak Truth USA, and you will get it and get to it and other videos our guest has produced. But that's not all. Oh, no. It turns out the person who produced the pro-police video and other common sense videos is a CEO, the CEO of Egard Watch Company. And that's not all. He's an art. He's also an actor, having appeared in The Walking Dead NCIS, and Deepwater Horizon, among others. His name is Ilan Sarulovich. Ilan, welcome to Search Warrant. Thanks for having me here. Glad to be on. We've, uh, we've had a chance to look at all of the videos you put out under uh, Speak Truth USA, everything from uh, Objective Truth is Dying and So is America, Identity Politics, PTSD on the police force, 100% proof that media is fueling a race war, uh, truth about black and on black uh, crime, gun debate is over, uh, you're being controlled, and, and the uh, interview you've had with uh, a, a police officer and a, uh, uh, a firefighter, yes, which uh, are all very compelling. Have, you know, it just makes me wonder, we, we've got a, uh, a company president that's able to get out there, has the courage to get out there and speak truth. Did you just wake up some morning and say, hey, I think I'm going to do this? Well, I mean, I, I don't know if it necessarily happened exactly like that. I think what happened was, um, you know, you keep seeing certain problems in the country and you keep seeing certain narratives become more and more mainstream. Uh, I think what really pushed me over the edge was how many other companies were just going against the police. It started becoming such a mainstream thing, like huge companies like Amazon and Netflix, just everything was anti-cop, anti-American values. And, you know, like I, I open up Amazon Prime to watch a movie and then boom, like BLM is like a cross on a big banner and saying like, you must agree with us. And like I open up a thing on my phone and every app on my phone I'd open up said like BLM, if you disagree with our values, you know, like uh delete the app i'm like first of all like that's a little bit extreme like something here is a little bit too pervasive where i'm not even allowed to question like certain things at all on any level um and i have a company i built it i'm i i've worked hard to create it it's my company and so i figured it would be far more powerful to release a message through my company as a statement about that uh than just doing it as an individual i mean even politicians are kind of cowering to any message that comes at this point. So, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. It was a progressive kind of thing where there were multiple things I was hit with and I was like, enough is enough. It's, uh, again, it's amazing to have somebody uh, of your stature with your, with your company um, being able to do that. And I know that the law enforcement community greatly appreciates the fact that you put that out, that first video you put out, uh, Speak Truth is uh, awesome, as are the others. Um, have you noticed that any of your videos have been restricted in any manner? 
Yeah, they they get restricted almost immediately. The um, the Speak Truth video got restricted within like six hours, uh, and they also re removed views from it. We had much more than a million views on that video, much more. And I know for a fact because we keep metrics elsewhere. And we had something like 7 million views on another metric measuring system, and they showed a million views. Um, and so we've noticed that happen, which is frustrating. You know, I don't have control over what YouTube does. I mean, our, our like count kept going down. Like, people liked the video. It would go up, and then it would go down. I'm like, okay, well, this is just weird. And then so we actually got a message saying, like, they're deleting likes that they consider to be bots. And I'm like, these are not bots. These are people leaving comments. They're... So they, they try and justify yeah. it however they can. But uh, I was I always used to say, like, no, the idea that YouTube, like, removes likes and comments from messages they disagree with is a conspiracy. But I've had it happen quite a few times now. So I'm like, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how much of a conspiracy it is that they restrict videos right away. I mean, just just the uh, the push we put on to get it out on our platforms. And I can see how many times, you know, that that post has been seen. I mean, it's it flies in the face of what you see as the uh, engagement rate on YouTube. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, some of those, uh, you know, very uh, a lot. Your one uh, video on black on black crime was really uh, took off like wildfire. I mean, if you get <laughs> and it does that, and then you don't see the correlation on YouTube. It's uh, there's definitely a problem there. And you had mentioned uh, Amazon. And I just read a thing today that they donated ten million dollars to BLM. Yeah, you know, I'm surprised. I, I know that when we when we talked in the in the past and I think you actually do a, a video on it where um, the donations to BLM are not exactly going directly to BLM. No. I mean, it's a, I mean, they go to, what is it, Act Blue? What's interesting is some of my friends who are very left-leaning even admitted this and were troubled by it. I mean, I don't know why, no, why more people aren't talking about it. What happens is, and I noticed that this is what BLM, the organization, is great at doing. And I remember we kind of talked about this, but what BLM has managed to do, the organization, not the slogan, is take a slogan, which to many people really does have value, like, let's look at racism in the country. Let's look at history. Let's look at these things. And let's see what we can do today to find solutions for things that people are going through and listen to them and, and have some empathy. All of that's important. But what BLM does is, the organization, is it takes that and then it, it, it quickly gets taken over and gets turned into what they want to use it for. But it rides on that empathy, that important message. And so if you question, hey, why is the leader of BLM calling white people genetic defects? Why is one of the leaders of BLM saying she's a trained Marxist? Why is the money going to act blue? That doesn't make sense. That has nothing to do with what I'm supporting. That's giving money to Biden. What does that have to do with what I believe in? Then you're accused of being a racist because, and this is the conversation all the time, black lives matter, period. And they've done a great job at that. Uh, it's something actually that many organizations on the far left are great at doing. They come in, they take a slogan, and they make it that you can't criticize it. Yeah, that's definitely. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, as we as we discussed before, they've really been hijacked. I mean, from uh, you know, I the the individuals that think that they're out there for Black Lives Matter have been totally uh, hijacked. You know, it's 
It's, I mean, they're, they're destroying federal buildings that have nothing to... They went to a building where the main sign on the building, my friend just sent me a picture of this, was racism is not accepted here. This is a building that was, I don't know what federal building it is, but it's obviously something to do with um, race relations. And like, and they destroyed the building and the sign. <laughs> You're destroying a sign that is an anti-racism sign. And they're all, the majority of them, like I counted in the video that I saw just recently, 14 out of 15 of the people I counted were white people, white Antifa members. Um, and again, I mean, like not to like bring race into it, but that's odd. If it's if it's about Black Lives Mattering, why are you breaking down things that have to do with fighting, you know, slavery, fighting racism, and then destroying federal buildings, burning minority businesses? I mean, the whole thing is backwards to me. Do you, do you have any idea? It seems like from what I've seen and I've, you know, taking a look at all the clips that uh, the legitimate press has put out, um, not mainstream media, but the legitimate, the legitimate press that, uh, you know, they just wiped out uh, several Starbucks. You know, what, what is it with Starbucks? Why, you know, what is that? Well, well Starbucks, I, I, Starbucks is hilarious to me because Starbucks, their company, really tries to kind of go along with the progressive narrative, no matter what it is, and tries to like be like, we're, we're your friend, we'll do whatever you say. And like, the second they do anything wrong, like the left turns on them in a second. I mean, Starbucks is really, what I've learned, and I will tell you this, and it's, I've learned never apologize if you are on the side of truth, never apologize to a mob out of fear, and never try and appease people to try and win them over. My beliefs are my beliefs, I'll stand up for my beliefs, and I don't care if people disagree. I don't care if they want to attack me for it. Uh, you know, like I said, my family's come through a very hard history of oppression from where they're from. I know what it looks like. And so the value in speaking up is extremely important. Companies like, you know, like Starbucks are doing the opposite and they end up getting the blunt impact of it. Uh, there's no way to win over the mob because it will always be pushed one step further. If today yeah. it's about this, Tomorrow it'll, it'll be about something even more extreme. Tomorrow they'll literally be saying, if you don't give us your coffee for free, you're you're a capitalist, you know, evil uh, person who's racist, and we're going to break your store. Well, your the video you had, and not only, you know, the, uh, I mean, all of them have taken off with the black on black crime, and then you have um, another one that, uh, you know, everything is racist, which is. That was hit the nail right on the head. And the ones that you're now coming out with uh, leftist insanity uh, really hit the head. It hit the nail on the head. The uh, In regard to Starbucks, I saw a picture from Friday night's protest where they wiped up the Starbucks um, and they, you know, um, terrorized the inside of it. <coughs> Excuse me. And then. You know, they have apartments above it and there's a sign in the window, shut up. <laughs> you know, oh, my God. And, and they won't let the people back in the Starbucks now because the police haven't swept it and they don't know if there's, you know, an explosive device. In it. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, there's a reporter in Portland, I believe, who made his another reporter. He's like a journalist with a radio station. And he was like making fun of Trump and calling him crazy for saying the protests are violent. 
And then a week later, the place where he does his radio yes. I've got burnt down. I, saw, I, saw <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to laugh at that, but it's it's hilarious. You know what I've yes. noticed that's, that's very interesting to me? And it's something very powerful that the left has done. It's managed to flip narratives. You are now a racist for wanting to treat people equally. You are now, um, you know, things that things that make no sense. In other words, saying that you care that there's a disproportionate amount of black people being shot, not by police, but by people in their own community, disproportionate to any other group. The only group in the United States, age 14 to 44, whose leading cause of death is homicide, is the black community. And it makes you racist to say you care about those people being killed. So yeah. it's, it, they've managed to flip every single, single narrative where I would argue their position is the racist position, telling me I'm not allowed to speak up on people who are dying because of the color of their skin is racist. That is a racist narrative. So, Yulan, Yulan, and I want to step in just for a second. This is Tom Purcell, by the way. Welcome to the show. It's really cool to have you. Back to Black Lives Matter and, and the extreme of it, how everything is going to be turned to racism. racism. Uh, MeTV, I've noticed, is now declaring that no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. What the hell is that supposed to mean? Well, I actually have a theory about all this stuff. I believe it has to do with the deconstruction of society through nihilism. So I have a whole kind of concept here that there's there's a reason there's an attack on religion. And I didn't grow up as a religious person, person at all. Uh, I actually kind of like had my apprehensions about it. And only in recent years when I started seeing all this going on, they've actually pushed me to become more into religion. And I'll explain why. I think a society that exists without a higher value is a society that will inevitably destroy itself because there's no absolute truths. And what the left has done a great job of doing well beyond Black Lives Matter is to say that there is no objective truth. If there's no objective truth, then the reality is that life doesn't matter. No lives matter. Nothing matters. And through that, you can create chaos. You can create anarchy. And what's the end result? People who want to step in and take control are very capable of doing that because you've kind of destabilized society. So the no lives matter thing is a natural evolution of Black Lives Matter. Uh, and, you know, in any true Marxist society, you kind of see that. You see an attack on religion. You see an attack on history. You see an attack on all these things that inevitably leads to anarchy, which inevitably leads to them taking control. Um, there's, no, there's no other way to look at it just based on the data being presented. We have criminals being released from prison because they're in danger of coronavirus. But then we're allowed mass protests. Because and they claim that that isn't spiking the virus. So millions of people are OK to protest side by side, but people can't be in prison because that's too dangerous for them. At the same time, we're arresting people for protecting their property after it's been broken onto. And then we're sending police to confiscate their guns. And then we're pressing charges against them for protecting themselves while telling looters that they're not and violent protesters who are attacking people that they're going to be released from prison as well. And we're also, at the same time, defunding and abolishing the police and making it impossible for police to function. So there's no way you can look at those things happening. What did I mention? Four things. Those are four things that are directly connected to each other. Getting rid of the police, getting rid of your right to protect yourself, freeing criminals from prison, and then on top of it, devaluing the individual and saying that you belong to a group identity. You have no value as an individual. You should not have an opinion as an individual. Tell me that all those things don't lead to absolute anarchy and lead to a society that eventually becomes destabilized. I don't see any other any other alternative. Oh, no, no. Sorry, what was that, Tom? I said all 
lockdown in just a few months. Can you imagine that? You know, we got a coronavirus. It's like lighting the, you know, and all of a sudden everything starts crashing down. Black Lives Matters all of a sudden matters, you know. Uh, defunding police. Have we ever heard of such a thing? This is all like um, George Soros had a working overtime, you know. He's in, coming through with this stuff. But what amazes me is how long is the silent majority going to stay silent? How long before we start to see the ridiculousness of it? Um, one of the analogies I was talking to John recently was the fact, you know, you have a policeman, and he, he murdered somebody, and he's sitting in prison. Now, we wanted to fund police departments because we're going to, of course, add to the anarchy. But what happens and what's always happened when you have a fireman running around and he's ill, he's sick, and he's a pyromaniac, so he's burning down houses. Subsequently, we get him arrested. We got him in jail. And I don't hear anything about defunding a fire department. It's just absurd. What about, yeah, or, or doctors who have done unethical things in the past or... Or teachers, or, you know, you'd have to defund everything if you held them to the standard of the police. One of the things that, that pisses me off also is if there's a problem in the police force, if that's your argument, that there's a problem in the police force, there's a lack of training, that there's a lack of accountability, that we're not dealing with issues that exist with screening, then the solution to that is not defunding, it's more funding. It's put money in so that you can correct those issues, create a department to focus on those issues. Defunding it would only increase those issues if that's what you really believed. So, um, yeah, the reason it's exponentially gotten worse so quickly is actually, it's very scary to me. Number one, it really implies that the pendulum can swing very fast and new normals can be created. I mean, I've never seen it in my lifetime personally happen this fast in the United States. So that's a big concern of mine. Um, and I do think that you look at some of the hypocrisy and politicizing of the coronavirus, and that's in part to blame. Um, again, BLM was around for years before it regained popularity. So this was like a perfect opportune time for them to come in and, you know, people were tired of being in their houses and so that they could use people in that way. And people were already angry. There's economic unrest. And uh, it's, not a, it's not a coincidence that it's right before an election, as usual. Um, and you actually look at a lot of the stuff Trump has done, and this is not like an endorsement or a criticism or anything in regards to Trump, but Trump is far more anti-establishment and far more interventionalist as a president, uh, including in the Middle East, which is something I'm very, very educated on, than previous administrations. And it seems like they don't like that. They don't like that he's trying to give individual power to Americans. Um, and one of the guys I had on my podcast is a brilliant guy. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. This guy, Mark Meckler, yeah. he talks about like self-governance and that's, you know, and the power of the individual, the true American spirit is that we see each other as individuals. We respect each other as individuals and that we respect the power that the individual has and that individuals should handle what they can handle. States should handle what they can handle. And the federal government should handle what it can handle. The federal government's job is not to control our lives, but you do see a push for that from the left in, in recent years, really getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So you get a guy like Donald Trump in, into office, which is the last thing they were expecting, and they need to destroy that. That's, that's counter to the big government is the solution. Uh, you know, you're talking about guys like Soros. That, the ideal situation for a guy like him 
is big government that he can, he can work with to kind of, you know, have an effect on the population. True free societies give the most freedom to the individual. You know, I, I've noticed that, uh, well, just recently, since they had that, uh, they had a court order in uh, Portland uh, in regard to, uh, you know, federal uh, agents keeping away from uh, press, not, you know, investing, not uh, arresting press. And now suddenly everybody shows up with, uh, you know, press attire on mm -hmm. and a press hat, a press helmet. You know, they, they are totally, and then the legitimate uh, journalists are calling them out at least. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it, they've used that. I, I can imagine that they'll, they have a line of those kind of court orders that they want to shoot out, you know, to keep, keep their, uh, keep it up. But George Soros, and we talked to him about him before, mm -hmm. and uh, the McCloskeys, you know, they are directly connected now through Kim Fox, and uh, like the the uh, district attorneys that we've we've talked about that that are uh, installed by George Soros. Uh, you know, if you can't, it sticks out like a sore thumb. I mean, it's it's blatantly. Uh... You know, when I talked to you, I said I'm not so educated on Soros, but I went on a like a crazy <laughs> Soros precinct and like oh, I heard. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's hard for it's hard to look at what's going on in the people he funds and say there's not a problem. Um, and it, you know, it's not it's things that are so unconstitutional that you look at it and you go, this doesn't make sense. And again, four years ago, three months ago, these are not conversations you could have had. But it's like becoming normalized. And so, again, like you had said previously, if people don't start speaking up, if people don't start fighting about it, if the silent majority doesn't say, hey, and this is a failure of the right and the center center as well, and even the center left, is that they've allowed the extreme left to become the mainstream narrative. Uh, and they've kind of bowed down to it. And so there's no opposition to it. It's like you take an entitled child who goes around hitting people. And then you leave him alone and you say, no, you're great. You're still doing great for hitting people. Ten years later, he's an adult and now he's still hitting people and he's able to put them in the hospital. Then he's getting a knife. Then he's getting a gun. That's kind of what we've done with the extreme left. We keep giving them more and more and more and praising them in many ways for it under the guise of like social justice, which is exactly what Soros, I believe, uses. He uses this notion of social justice. I'm going to put this DA in. I'm going to fund them. They're going to fight for social justice under my guise, but in the process, we're going to take away constitutional rights, like your right to defend yourself from a mob of people who are threatening to kill your family. Like, if you can get rid of that right, you can destroy America. <laughs> There's no more rights. There's nothing left. You've done away with the Second Amendment in many ways. You've done away with private property rights. I mean, if that case goes further, which I hope it doesn't, because I know that the governor stood up. I know the attorney general stood up. It's starting to get very, very significant backlash. I, and luckily, there still is that hope in America where when push comes to shove, enough is enough. Um, yeah, it's the silent majority has been too quiet for too long. And I'm, I'm anticipating it to explode because I believe that's what's going to save this country from this mess. And I hear more about it every day. I hear the more the majority... Just sick of it, you know. You even look on Facebook; it just look at it. it's happening every day, but it's getting louder. Thank God. If yeah. not, we're screwed.
Well, it's getting louder. The question is how it's getting louder. And it's also what I hear a lot of, which is very dangerous, is I'm just going to wait till it gets bad. And a lot yeah, of you can't. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's that, already well, we're there. Already, Leon. We're, we're there. Yeah. But if you come from uh, a military. What worries me is the. Go ahead. No, no, sorry. It's the it's freedom of speech that we're losing now. That's this is the new target. You know, thank God for people like you who got the balls to do it. Well, that's it. Freedom of speech. Like, if, And the scarier thing is if you pull the younger generation, over 50% don't believe in freedom of speech. They believe the right to offend should not su supersede the right to not be offended. And that's a very scary thing. And that's happening because of the infiltration of these ideas, Marxist ideals, into universities. Um, and it's undeniable that it's happening there. And so... You know, one of the solutions, like uh, Mark had said on my podcast previously, that guy Mark Meckler was, yeah, we have to have more homeschooling. We have to change the way we look at education. We have to change the way these things are happening because otherwise we lose. At this point, you have to accept that 95% or whatever it is of college professors are extremely left-leaning and will push those ideals. My own niece is talking to me about gender at the end and, uh, and crazy things like, like uh, graphic sexual things about like, homosexual relations and all that stuff at 10 years old and how, how gender doesn't exist and how this and that doesn't at 10 years, 11 years old, they're being told gender doesn't exist and being given graphic things. Like now I'm not against discussions over those things at an older age, but when you're starting imposing that onto a 10 year old in school, that's very scary. Um, and they're very kind of influenced at that age to take authority seriously. So, uh, it's it's weird to me, but that's a battle that the right has lost. The battle has right also has lost multiple uh, battles in terms of fighting this. And one of the main reasons is for exactly what I said, where a lot of my army friends are, hey, we're just going to sit back and wait. They're waiting for like a civil war. That's literally what they're waiting for. That's not the solution. I'd rather stop a war before it happens than wait for a war to come and then be like, well, I'm armed. I'll deal with it. Like you're not coming near my property. Like that's great. But that's not enough. I mean, like you, you got to stop it before it gets there. I'm even one of them myself, Alan. I, I sold uh, my house and I moved out to the country. I have no neighbors. I mean, it's not the answer, but it's my peace. It's my happy place. And I got a feeling that there's going to be quite a following, quite, quite a populace that's heading my direction. I just don't want to deal with this crap anymore. How many people do you have to tell you? I don't listen to the news anymore. I can't take it anymore. Well, you better snap out of it. One of the biggest underestimations of the left is the kind of retaliation you would... It's a, they're causing a fight they don't want to have in the end of the day. What they don't realize is that most of the people in the military, most of the people who are veterans, most of the police force, most of the people who own guns, most of the people who are tough, just generally tough in the country, do not agree with them. And when that retaliation comes, it's not going to come politely. It's not going to come in the way. So right now they're empowered. There's a, there is, and they're empowered because of lack of consequence. Like I said, that child analogy. If you slap that child early on, like a lot of people are like, you can't hit your kid. My dad, I'll be honest, he corrected me and he taught me consequence. I love the man. I don't hate him. I'm not traumatized. Like you have to learn there are real world consequences to your actions. We've raised an entire generation without that. And now we're suffering the consequences of it because they're easily influenced to say that if this is easier, it's the right way. You shouldn't have to work for a living. It's everyone else's fault. 
Your identity is the reason everything is bad. There's no personal accountability. There's no personal responsibility. Those people start acting out, and then we're telling them it's okay to act out. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to see them going out and breaking federal buildings. You're going to see them mob cars. What you're also going to start seeing as a response is people shooting them from their cars, which you just saw. There was, there was people who just mobbed a car, and I believe one of them, one of the people mobbing the car came and he had an AK-47 and the person had his family in the car. I don't know the exact story and I may be wrong, but the person in the car just opened fire. Now, that's going to happen more and more and more because people are going to say, I'm not taking a chance with my family. If you're a mob of people, if there's 20 of you, you're armed and you're approaching my car, I'm just going to shoot you. I'll deal with the consequences later. And... Uh, I think, sadly, you are going to start seeing more of that. You're also going to start seeing the left become more hesitant and Antifa people become more hesitant to actually approach vehicles when that starts happening. Yeah. Will, you know uh, what I mean? So. Uh, well, hey, back to the uh, teachers, the education, you know, the, they just came, the teachers union just came out with a list of demands. Did you see that? No, I would love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, they, well, I mean, you know, it's, uh, they want all, uh, all charter schools closed and no private schools and then they want uh, a, a variety of different things uh financially so you know they want to uh certainly limit people's uh opportunities to have their children uh educated in a different manner than they would have them but uh, when, our, when our governor started using the uh term we're going to reimagine education oh god oh, here it comes again <laughs> yeah did you see that in my video that where I showed them all saying we're going to re they, they love the word reimagine. We're going to reimagine the police and policing. We're going to reimagine education. Yeah, you're going to turn it into a Marxist <laughs> education yeah. system. You already control it. If they said they're doing away with private education, that's one of their that's insane. Um, I, I, I know that they also want to get rid of the uh, one of the things just recently I heard is they want to get rid of, of grammar. That grammar is racist. Yes. Exactly. Yes. I don't know what to say to that other than that's, again, I mean, we've done away with gender. The notion that you can put a male rapist into a female prison to rape more women, which actually happened. This is not something hypothetical. This literally happened where a male rapist was put into a female prison because he identified as female and then raped 22 more women. The fact that that can happen in a modern day society because we've done away with the idea of gender and if you even question it you're a transphobe uh we're being controlled by language uh, i'm shocked to see americans this week because one thing i've always taken pride in as an american is the passion and the and the, the unrelenting will of the american people that had they have been a bastion of hope and light in history and that is a dwindling. Hey, John, are you an optimist? Are you are you uh, an optimist who believes that the pendulum is going to swing the other way? <sighs> it's a tough question. It's a really tough yeah. question. I, I think uh, that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about the will of the American people. I don't, and I think that we've allowed because you know, with every generation, the it gets worse. So the pendulum may not swing back inevitably. And inevitably, we have new normals. And the pendulum stays there or gets worse. And then the new, the new pendulum sw swinging back might be to where we are today, but never to where we, we should be. Um, and so, and it's happening more and more quickly. So I, I'm torn on that. I like to believe that there's still a huge percentage of this population which loves the country, which I do believe that, which believes in freedom of speech, 
which believes in fighting for these ideals. Uh, but I do see that the continued polls being taken of extreme views being normalized keeps increasing more and more and more each year with no opposition and no retaliation. So the end game to that is the loss of America. That so I guess no. In that sense, I'm not a, an optimist. We've heard so many. You know, it's been 20 years since we started hearing political correctness is going to be the death of America. Now it's becoming to wake up. Yeah. It doesn't appear that those timeout periods and everybody gets a trophy has helped us at all as, as a society. Oh. <laughs> well, like, again, you know, it started with things, and this is the, you want an example of why it's dangerous, because it started with things that 20 years ago you heard that were very subtle, which you, 20 years ago were, you were like, that's absurd. Uh, that's, I don't accept that. But then it started, and, and by today's standards, those things are not absurd, like you're talking about participation trophies. That's not even a conversation anymore. The idea of competition now has just been accepted that it's offensive. Um, and so participation trophies aren't even part of the conversation. Now what we're talking about is doing away with grammar because grammar is racist and doing away with, you know, and everyone has to have government education <laughs> fed to them. And that, you know, it's it, it's gone from participation trophies, which was an absurd position, to the idea that... Even, a perfect example of this is debates I used to have around abortion, regardless of where you sit on the abortion issue. Uh, it used to be that if you said you don't believe in term limits whatsoever, that you believe that a fetus right at birth should be allowed to be aborted, 99.9% .9 of the population would look at you and think you are a maniac. That right. would be the response. Today, it's far more normalized. And most people I talk to on the left say to me, I don't believe in term limits. That's controlling a woman's body. I'm like, none? So if she wants to, for whatever reason, go kill a fetus at like right before it comes out of the stomach, that's her choice. They're like, yeah, it's her choice. I'm like, is it a life? Like do, do, at some point, does it become a life? I feel like it doesn't matter. It's her choice. It's in her body. Like they've just normalized something, in my opinion, that if you can normalize that, if you can make it okay, even some of them are for, pro partial birth abortion at this point where, oh, it's outside of her body, but the umbilical cord is still attached. We can kill it. And I'm oh, like, how God. can you rationalize these positions. If you can rationalize that position, then you can rationalize anything. You can rationalize killing people because of their race, because maybe they're less than human too. I mean, so we're not far off, in my opinion, if you actually look at the positions that are accepted from being able to rationalize any position at all. Anything is possible at this point, in my opinion, to be accepted by society. Um, so, it's interesting to me that the Pentagon released, they have evidence of off-world vehicles, which is a huge story, but people are still more focused and don't want to give it a moment of time because they're so focused on something like, well, no, we have to talk about the education system in the United States and how grammar is racist. Hey, the Pentagon just said they have potential evidence of off-world vehicles. Can we not look at this as potentially something more important? Nothing that we are so self-consumed as a society by social justice, that if aliens flew down today and started looking at humans and said, hi, we're here for the human race, we would have leftists say, hey, you only see us as human, you're not seeing color, get off our planet, oh, your basis. I mean, we're not. Exactly. Oh, my God. You know, in regard to uh, Kim Fox, uh, one of the judges in uh, Cook County today came out with a thing that says, acts of violence are spreading and the outcomes are lethal. From the Riverwalk to Grand, Grant Park, people are feeling unsafe, 
throughout Chicago communities. This is a result of Fox, Kim Fox's failure to effectively prosecute violent offenders. Jeez, you know, they let them out. They won't prosecute anybody. I mean, you know, we already talked about, you know, how it's going in Philadelphia and San Francisco. I mean, my God, it's just, it's like multiplying a problem, you know, by a hundred. You know, it's just, ah. No, I know it's frustrating. And I mean, the sad part is we could talk about it as much as we want, but you've both touched on the issue many times until Americans as a whole normalize the idea that fighting against this is okay. You allow a small minority to dictate what the norm is. In that video I made about you are being controlled, I talk about the two experiments, the Ash experiment and the Milgram experiment. And both those experiments touch on where we are today, where you can force people to conform to an idea and they'll accept it if they believe that it is the majority opinion, uh, regardless of whether that's true or not. And they will also respond and, and do action if authority tells them to do it, regardless of how they feel about it. And who's the perceived authority nowadays? Not the government, but groups like BLM are the perceived authority. And so you have BLM saying it's okay to do all this stuff, and then you have popular opinion driven by Hollywood, by the media, by social media, saying this is what you should believe, and then people want to conform. It's very hard. It's very, very, very hard nowadays to speak your mind if you're on the other side. Well, we are allowing a 13% be the authority. Good Lord, why? what happened to the majority being the authority? You know, how, how is this still happening once it, once it was initiated by Black Lives Matter? How did, how did it not fall on its face, you know what I mean? Just other than the, the, the media and just following forward too. Somehow these guys must be magicians to get the whole country to think that they are now, though 13%, they are the authority. How the hell does that happen? And why is everybody falling for it? I understand there's a, a whole bunch of millennials out there that don't know if they're coming or going, but and and they're just, I have to be do the right thing. I have to help the minority. So I'm an idiot. You know, and that's what you're basically seeing. But you still, it's, it's what a great power trick to be the 13% and to be the authority. Well, of course, I also understand that they had the whole help of the left wing, which, let's dig deeper. We have the whole help of the left wing who wants to see this country end. You know, the George Soros and the Andrew Cuomo's, those kind of maniacs that we do have out there yeah so i'll say this about blm i don't even think blm the organization itself represents 13 percent of the population i think it rep it's represented by much less like if you look at the ideals of the leaders of blm a very very small percentage of the population believes in the true destruction of the nuclear family marxist ideals but they're managing to normalize it again and people are accepting it because of the things we're talking about um so the there was something I wanted to say, I just slipped my mind, but it, it ties into that. It ties into the idea of like how how you will uh, allow these views to become normalized. Uh, I have to I'm, I'm going to need a minute for it to come back. But it, it was a very it was a point I wanted to make. It's frustrating me that I can't remember it. now. Well, you know what they say, Elon, you throw enough of it up against the wall. Sooner or later, it's going to start to stick. And that's been yeah. basically the theory.
Oh, I remember actually. It's so it's a it's a fragmentation of the way that people like us who rely on reality see things, which is why we're objectively able to look at this and say it doesn't make sense versus people who rely on ideology. And a huge percentage of the and I'm actually making a video on this. My next video was going to be like why the, the left and the right can never understand each other. And it's and why the right loses because the, the right always makes arguments that are reality based arguments like the data doesn't support your position. You're wrong. This is reality. So this is that's our argument. Whereas the left often says this is an ideal. We're looking at an ideal world, a world without racism. And if you believe in a world without racism, you're on our side and the opposition is against us. And so if you dislike racism, then they're the ones who are the problem. We're the idea that's against racism. So they're appealing to people on a much different level. And so again, BLM is very powerful because what is it? What is BLM? What is Black Lives Matter? Anyone who hears that someone who feels like their life doesn't matter saying, please, my life matters. Can we just look at that? If you don't respond to that in a way with empathy, if you can't look at that person and be like, if that's how they feel, I should at least listen to them. You're a terrible person. Yeah. And in the end of the day, I don't think that anyone on the right or left actually doesn't want to listen to people or wants people's lives to not matter. But what the left has done a great job of doing and what BLM has really done a great job of doing is saying that if you disagree with us, you are inherently disagreeing with the idea that our lives matter. You are inherently disagreeing with the idea that racism is wrong. And it, it's never really about that. But the right is over there arguing, well, we're just saying that only nine unarmed black people were killed in 2019. So yeah. this epidemic that you're talking about, these bodies you're talking about filling the streets don't exist. Sorry, my dog's in the background. And so they're <laughs> she's just wandering around there. And so that's the focal point for the right. But that's not the right focal point. You don't win an argument with the left by doing that. You don't win an argument with people who are attracted to ideals by doing that. You win an argument by saying, actually, the people telling you that we're the racists, they're the real racists. They're the ones who aren't willing to look at the real problems. They're the ones that aren't willing to address the real issues affecting the black community. Things like school choice. The Democrats have consistently voted against school choice, which would solve the exact issue they claim is one of the major issues in the black community, which is redlining that existed for, for decades. One of the things you solve that with is school choice. Fine, let them go to better schools outside their community, but the left consistently votes against it. And no one talks about that. No one calls them out on it. And no one really brings these issues to light. So the left just gets to keep accusing people of being racist. Well, no, you're the racist. I'm going to start telling you you're the racist. I'm going to point out that you're the racist. So that's where the right fails. And that's why these people can take such control. Because if you ever talk to someone who sides with BLM, or you ever talk to someone who's very left-leaning or liberal, they, they have like a, a moral authority to them, that they're on the side of justice, that they know what's best and that they're doing it because it's a cause and it will make the world a better place. And that it's almost like that they're taking their place in history. And that's a powerful thing. You know, I, I wanted to mention that, uh, you know, in New York City, and I just I just learned this yesterday because I listened to a, uh, a New York State uh, senator who said that in the city, the, you know, their representatives that... Uh, represent the city five five socialists right out in your face socialists won their races against democrats and now 
he, you know, the in New York, you know, you you got Western New York, uh, where it's predominantly Republican, and it's run, you know, it's it's the uh, tail wagged by New York City, and you know, they're how are they going to fight when you've got five socialists winning? you know, uh, races against Democrats in, in the city. It's just a, it's going to be bad news. You bad. win by fighting ideology, not by fighting facts and not by fighting with arguments. And you make your ideology appealing. Um, and that's, again, the failure of the right and, and, and even the failure of the left to allow socialist ideals to be presented as morally just. Right. And so now when people say they're socialists, they're proud of it. They think they're they're the side that, again, cares about people, cares about equality. They're not actually the very in other words, socialism, despite idealistically when initially presented being the number one mistake people make when arguing socialism is they go, it's idealistically great. Like it's a it's a, a world where people are equal, but it fails in practice. No, it's idealistically slavery. It's idealistically taking people's money that they worked for, which is the definition of slavery, and taking control of it and deciding what to do with it. And so if you can break that down, if you can, sh if you can show people the ideology is a problem, because they don't care if the reality-based implications of it fail. They'll say, well, this time it'll be different. Well, no, it won't be different because the ideology itself is flawed, not the application of it. And so until you acknowledge that, like, do you really want a select few, like the left really has always traditionally been against elitists controlling money. Like that's their main argument. And yet they want to implement forms of government, which actually allow elitists to control money and control the, the population just because they believe this time it'll be different. No, it won't. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. they're against, they're against rich white men who've been accused of sexual assault and racism to run for office. And yet they put Biden, who is a rich white old man who's accused of racism yes. and, and sexual assault, not accused of racism, as I said, blatantly racist things, but accused of sexual assault to be the number one person. And then when you call them out on it and you say, well, why don't you just go for someone like Tulsi? Your own your own DNC, your own establishment has shut down and turned away the people who will challenge them, the people who are intersexual uh, in, in, in intersectional, not intersexual. Yes. People like Tulsi Gubbard, who is a woman who is a veteran. I may disagree with her ideals, but for the left, she's a person of color. She represents everything they believe in. She's a person of color. She has very strong left-leaning ideals. She's very tough as an, and empowered as a woman. Uh, she's a veteran. She hits all the checkboxes. She's intersectional. And so uh, yet the DNC shuts her down because she's anti-establishment. And they right away say... Oh, that's totally fine. We're okay with them, like pretty much not giving Tulsi a chance. Biden is the right choice. Biden's the right choice. Like, I, I don't understand the hypocrisy here. Then why aren't you voting for Trump if Biden's the right choice? Like, yeah. what you claim that Trump is a white, old, racist, rich, white male, and then you put Biden as a, you know, the exact same thing. It's like it's so hypocritical. Oh, exactly. Hey, I just wanted to touch on. You know, I, I, early on when we talked about police training, and I'm sure Tom's experience has been the same, but on the federal level, Jesus Christ, you've got training every week. I mean, you know, knew this and knew that. I mean, you know, I, I, you couldn't have more training and do your job at the same time. I can tell you that, again, at least on, and Tom can speak to this too, but on the federal level, you've got training up the kazoo. 
you know i mean every five minutes you're you know oh there's training for this and and then you're going to uh you know different police academies to get their training um which is you know good because you get different perspectives on things but you know it's to the point where you've got these guys must be going oh my god they want they want more training where the hell are you going to put that in i mean you're already up to your ass in training i mean tom i mean you, you had the same thing didn't you oh yeah now i i noticed that uh when i came to training it just got so convoluted that it was like hey Am I going to get overtime? Because that's all I really give a damn about. Yeah. And, it, and it really got a little weird when we started putting uh, camouflage uh, outfits on city police officers. Where the hell do you need a, a camera? Where's the jungle? You know, so where we really <laughs> lost perspective uh, of, you know, what a policeman's job really is. And I think that's part of the whole anti-police conspiracy of for lack of a better term, but it's just that I think police got lost in the sauce and, and they don't know what else to do other than, well, they're, they're killing more people than they used to. They're more nervous than they used to be. Why are these guys acting this way? I mean, I was a police officer for 30 years. I can't believe the behaviors I'm seeing because these guys on the street are nervous. You know, well, let's give them more training. What the hell are you going to give more training for? Why don't you just give them a good academy and then refresh your courses and then back off and let them do their job. But you know, that's, it's, it's just, it's already full of so much training that almost have, don't have time to do your job. I mean, it's just, I think, I think if you could rebuild trust between communities and police, in other words, like a huge part of the problem is the rhetoric that's out right now that police are bad. I mean, I even watch these YouTube videos of like these, it was a video that got millions of views and people celebrated it, which was shocking to me, of black families pretty much telling their little kids the talk about how they're potentially going to get killed by a cop. I'm like, and kids were crying and like, and they're like, I don't want my brother to die. And they're like, it's just a reality. And like, so you, you have kids being raised this way. What do you think the end result is that of that is when they have an interaction with a police officer? Um, I will say this for training, which was very interesting for me. I, I teach close quarter combat. I've taught it since I was, uh, I've been training over 30 years. Uh, since I was a little kid, I started like literally, uh, very, very young. And I did teach at, they would, they would essentially hire me to go into police stations and give seminars. And one of the things I noticed is that many police were more interested in firearm tactics than they were in like control tactics or like non- lethal tactics. And I'd ask them, I'd be like, do you want to spend more time here? And they're like, no, I just, I want, I'd rather be at the range. And so now what we've done with the new legislation passed is we've actually limited police further to what tactics, non-lethal tactic, tactics they can use. In other words, again, people respond emotionally. So George, George Floyd died because he, he asphyxiated or whatever it was, caused a heart attack. I don't know exactly. There seems like there's multiple reasons, but definitely the pressure on the neck had something to do with it. And all of a sudden chokes are the enemy. Well, I've been teaching chokes for, you know, I've been getting choked for the past 25 years of my life sparring, choked yeah. out unconscious. And I've been choking people out unconscious. I've competed in the black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've competed in Sambo. These are sports where the goal, the sole purpose is to choke someone. I've never killed someone and my teammates have never killed anyone. I'm obviously not dead. We're talking about millions of people train these sports. It's an international. And when we're choking each other, we're choking each other definitely harder 
we're we're going for full carotid blockage to put you out in three. You know, sure, there's a ref there, but you're not gently choking the guy. You're putting him out. And but he you has to tap. use the term. You just use the term choking someone in the world of political political correctness. You're going to see heads explode. You know, yeah, eyeballs but... pop. He said it. He said choke him out. He 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 belongs in prison for God's sakes. He said yeah, that's, it. That's my point. But a choke is are arguably the safest way to control a violent person. And, I agree. Uh, I've used it. Me too. I've used it in physical confrontations. And I'm not now a police officer. <laughs> yeah, it, it works. I mean, yeah. I, I think I, we've, all, uh, we've all used it, and it works, and it doesn't have, uh, you know, in my experience using it, uh, it hasn't uh, caused, it has caused no injuries with the exception of I got uh, a guy bit my arm once, uh, you know, while I was, uh, you know, working it out. But uh, if someone's on, on PCP, you're not stopping them by punching them in the head. You're not even stopping them by shooting them. But you p can stop them by blocking blood flow to their brain. It's just what it is. I yeah, mean, and, and it's it's safer. If you gave me a choice to be punched in the head 30 times until I'm unconscious or however many times that took or that to be heavily restrained and slammed into concrete and then I'm still resisting and hope that that doesn't escalate versus just uh, someone choking me unconscious and then letting it go. I mean, any properly trained person can tell the body goes limp. You can feel it. I've choked, a, right. like I said, thousands of people out, you know. Uh, and so it, in my opinion, it's much safer than any other method to control someone. Right. I, I agree, but boy, you're going to catch flack on that one. I'm all right with catching flack. I mean, I've been teaching martial arts for so many yeah. years. You know, it, it, it's the it's a safe way to low, uh, lower your loss exposure for for injury to the subject and injury to the uh, the officers. Yes. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know what the uh, uh, percentage is, but I know it's very difficult to just as Elon said, somebody that's on meth or PCP or a combination of any of the above, uh, you know, they are Superman. You mm -hmm. know, when you try to bring them down, as you know, they're they're Superman, and that's one way to, uh, you know, appropriately used um, to limit the exposure that the person's going to have any further if he continues to fight. And, and does PPTC still teach that? Yes, sir, I do. Yep, I teach... Uh, so the, my background in martial arts is I, I black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, used to compete <laughs> sambo. I did Muay Thai since I was a little kid. And I also grew up with uh, this guy called uh, Kakoi Cañete, his grand, grandson. He's a Filipino martial artist. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I grew up and I've been doing that since I'm a little kid. So it's Filipino martial arts, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai. And, uh, and I would always just go spar at other schools. I'd go to Kyokushin schools, which is like full contact karate, and I'd spar with them, and I ended up training that for a while. I love martial arts. I love fighting. But one of the things I learned is if you gave me a choice, one of the things that gravitated me to grappling, choking people, is that I could control them without hurting them. Like I was, at, right. I was originally a striker, and I was taking brain damage. I was getting hit all the time and sparring in the head. I'd have headaches all the time. I'd have vision problems. I, my speech would change sometimes randomly because I was sparring hard all the time. The second I switched to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, that stopped happening. <laughs> I would just get choked out, and I was yeah. like, oh. Yeah, I mean, you know, how difficult is it for you to 
for anybody to wrap their head around the fact that if you do it right, you know, you're again eliminating eliminating any further exposure for damage to anybody. You know? How do you how do you choke out a zombie? <laughs> well, it works though. I mean, you know, just like Elon said, when you cut <laughs> off the uh, circulation to the brain briefly, they lose consciousness. You put the cuffs on. He's in the. He's uh, back awake. He's got cuffs on him. He's in the car. That's it. You know. Another thing I've noticed when I've choked people out in actual physical confrontations, and there's a. I, I will say this: when I'm talking about chokes, I'm actually talking about a strangle. I'm not talking about a windpipe choke. I'm talking about, like we said, blocking blood flow to the brain, which is different than trying to stop oxygen from entering the lungs. Right, right. So I would say that chokes are, if you're trying to put pressure on the windpipe, that I will argue is dangerous. You can damage the windpipe, you can break it, in which case they, they won't be able to breathe. It takes much longer. It could take minutes for someone to pass out from a windpipe choke, and it's extremely painful and often has more resistance. But a strangle, a true strangle... Three to five seconds. Anyone who's watched an MMA fight sees these guys go out. It takes three to five seconds. It's very, very safe. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> That's my point about not using a choke and not using the term choke. Yeah. 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 But again, it's just people who people who respond emotionally uh, like that. So that what they're saying is take that option away from an officer. Now you're no longer allowed to mount. Like full mount, I heard is is yeah. Is, how are you gonna how are you how are you gonna handcuff a guy without that? I mean, it's, it's insane. Uh, so you're creating uh, a situation where police is only option, which was my my thing back in the days. I would always ask them is like, well, don't you want to learn close quarter combat because it'll give you more options and confidence comes from options, so that you don't have to rely on your firearm. We're right. telling police now that your only option is your firearm. We're taking away their other options. We're creating a situation where they are going to have to shoot people because they cannot mount them. They cannot choke them. They cannot put them into, into locks. Like, like a wrist lock is probably going to be outlawed. Anything that damages the person. I heard any type of pressure on the chest is becoming uh, questionable. I mean, at some point, you're going to make it so hard to control an individual um, that police are just going to be like, all right, I'm either going to let this person run away, but if they're attacking me, I'm going to have to shoot them. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, it used to... It used to be that uh, your your most powerful weapon on the street was your ability to talk. You know what I mean? To get yourself, you yeah. know, in position, uh -huh. you win verbally. And now you've got, you know, they're not going to listen to any of that. And now you've got, you know, if they're still allowed to have mace, then the taser, then your weapon. You know, it's like, uh, and, and you're exactly right. The uh, you know the the ability to handle somebody physically without with uh, without causing any uh, injury to either one of the participants or participants um, is the best. Just, oh. One of the bigger problems also is that people have no perception of reality. In other words, they look at a confrontation and they can't understand how, from an officer's position. The officer does not have an ability to analyze all the variables in place. They have to assume the potential variables. In other words, they do not know if you are armed. When I get into a when I go to a gym and I train, I can train safely because I know you're not going to pull a knife on me and stab me. I know you're not going to pull out a gun and shoot me. I know you're not going to start biting my neck so or eye gouging me. But an officer does not have the convenience of knowing what variables are in place. So it's very easy to watch and criticize and be like, well, he could have just done this. I, I see people do that all the time, even with, when, when I'm fighting. 
oh, you should have just done this. I'm like, get in there and do it and see if you could just do this. It's always harder than it looks when you're actually doing it. But it's a million times harder when you don't know if the person is actually going to shoot you in the face any second just for, you know, coming up to their car. So the level of, of stress and the amount of variables that police officers have to take into account with every interaction, even ones that appear to be peaceful to everyone else, is impossible for an average citizen or a civilian to analyze and say, oh, well, I would do this in this situation. They're, they're uh, armchair quarterbacking. I don't know if that's the word, but it's like everyone is a hero in their own mind until they're in a, in a situation where they actually have to go through it. And then yeah. they're, they're the ones, the first ones who would shoot somebody, you know, in that high stress situation. So it's exactly major hypocrisy. Absolutely. Uh, I'll, share, I'll share something with you guys. Um, in 1976, which is only about 154 years ago, I started with the Buffalo Police Department as a community service officer. These maniacs, these are, uh, I think, 43 of us, literally worked on the streets of Buffalo with no gun, no weapon at all, except for your stick and that kind of, your pepper, no no, no. And people thought we were insane. And we weren't insane. It was a matter of using your mouth, you know, using your words. And it, we, we did well. That's that's the kind of training I really think they ought to go back to, is teaching you how to survive on the street with diplomacy. Now with hard ass. Yeah. I, 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 Elon that's has all a, I got to say about that. Elon has a real point, though. I mean, you know, when you, when you look at the training that you receive, uh federally or state or local i mean it's the the emphasis is on firearms yeah. when when it should very well be i mean i've had other positions where the emphasis was on the physical control of another human being after you've used your verbal skills which you know in retrospect that was the probably the best training that i've i've had I mean, you know, because you can uh, manipulate that and you can uh, tailor it to whatever situation you had. So, Ilan, you have a very good point there. Very good point. The emphasis should be on that. And I think everybody gets it across the board, but I don't think it's as, as to the degree that it, it could be that, that I've, seen it, I've seen it in. And it's actually worked very well. Hey, uh, I want to go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, they've made it. They've made it so that police aren't even allowed to do that anyway now. So that's an option yeah. off the table. <laughs> that doesn't even yeah. matter. And diplomacy is off the table, too. In other words, they've created so much tension between communities and police. Uh, and police are perceived as, you know, such villains by this narrative that I don't believe any amount of diplomacy in some situations will work because people are coming in so hot-headed and so angry. Yeah, uh, we had the hot-heads. We had people you were not going to get through and they were very dangerous and there were dangerous moments but we pulled it off nobody got hurt nobody got shot nobody got killed well, because diplomacy does is a very powerful tool very yeah, I, powerful it, again but we I, don't I, use the, it anymore we don't and people, like you said it's off the table yeah the people you run into now have a uh ideology that's going to eliminate that that efforts on, on diplomacy. Hey, so I wanted to just uh, quickly touch on on Soros. I know that we've, you know, we've we've talked about him before, and um, 
you know, there, we were talking before about how you would limit, you know, a funds for particular candidates like DAs. You know, they all they have Zoro's money, so they can pretty well put everybody out of the race. And and every and people, don't, it's not like people don't know that. I mean, uh, Kim Fox is a prime example of that. But you know, I hope to God there's a there's a part of the uh, federal investigative uh, framework by the name of the finance. It's a it's called FinCEN. It's the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, and I hope they're working overtime on Mr. Soros, because if they could freeze all his shit, then we could really make a dent in uh, you know these people that are getting money from him to do this kind of shit. So you know I know there's a petition in the White House to have him uh, you know identified as a terrorist, but I think it's much better if we uh, go the uh, Financial Crimes Enforcement Network and freeze all this shit, you know, and uh, that'll stop him in his tracks. Anyway, that would limit his ability to influence things. Um, I don't know a guy like that. And I think there's more than just him. Like we like you, you had said he has like arms that extend well beyond him. I think I think you have to win back society. That's how you kind of shut down Soros is by winning over society through media through content creation, through making it normalized to have our views. That's the battle I'm trying to fight. Well, um, Elon, we really want to, first of all, you know, everybody that I've talked to um, and have shot out everything you've done to, uh, one, they say you have huge balls, which, <laughs> which I'm sure you know you have. But, you know, people have to be able to listen to you. They have to be able to hear that. Because if they see a CEO and a guy that's established like you that can identify the problems that you see, that we all, you know, whether we say it or not uh, publicly, we identify exactly with those issues and with your uh, view of those issues. And, you know, we want to be able to get the word out as quickly as possible and as much as possible as to what you're doing. Because uh, I think it really will make an impact, and it it has so, it has. I've seen what it's what impact it's made so far with the people that I've shot it to. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, great job. Keep it up. Um, yeah, I'm going to be using my company more as a platform to do things. We're also going to be, uh, you know, putting money back into the police and into charities for police and stuff like that. In coming September, we have some plans to support some uh, good police charities. And so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to try and do my part again. I agree. I think it, it's a matter of people seeing stuff and then it being normalized. Uh, I'm actually hopefully going to be working with some people who have a very good following already as well and uh, starting a movement and starting a, a content kind of platform where Excellent. these kind of messages can get out. Yeah, if you could... If uh, if you can shoot us something to let us know, and we will, uh, you know, be putting that stuff out as well. Um, Elon, how would people get in touch with you? What what are your social platforms? Can you can you let us know what they are? Yeah, so the YouTube channel is right now not the one that has the video for police, but like the, all the stuff I'm doing personally. Speak Truth USA. Um, and if you type Speak Truth. Egard, E-G-A-R-D, you'll see the video that I made for Speak Truth. And on uh, on Instagram and on Twitter, it's just 
at and then my last name, which is crazy to spell. So I don't know if people even <laughs> so give me able to get Sorolovich. Yeah. Um, yeah they'll be able to find me through if they just go on the YouTube page, most of my videos have like all my social uh social media there. So if they go to Speak Truth USA, they'll see my videos and then they'll be able to just in the description see all my social media. Perfect. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I just want to just uh, end my my little spiel just by saying you're a hell of a patriot. Keep it up. You know, and, and hopefully we'll wake more people up. Uh, search warrant, I hope, will be a great vehicle for you getting exposure. Um, we got some good listeners and we'll do our best to... Uh, I'd help you do what you do. I'm real proud of you. Thank you. That means a lot, especially coming from you guys. I mean, that's uh, that's important to me. Well, it's nice to have a, you know, a, a CEO that can be a hero in your position, where other people can look up to, and you're exactly that. Again, it's uh, Speak Truth USA on uh, YouTube, and then you can go right to uh, um, all his other platforms. Uh, Elon, thank you very much. Thank you. We'd like to have you on again whenever, uh, whenever it, uh, time allows for you. I know you got a lot of stuff going on, but as things develop and hopefully uh, um, our side of the house uh, picks up, um, we can, we'd love to have you back on to discuss that. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thanks Elon, for the th common sense. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> keep, keep it up, Elon. Keep it up. I appreciate it. I will. Absolutely. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys.